for this morning is from Luke chapter 17, which you can find on page 1595 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Thanks, Sharon. Hello, High Point, how are you? Good morning. Um, my name is Lloyd Biddle, and I am one of the pastors here at High Point Church. Um, delighted to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, one of my favorite commercials is uh, uh, this five-hour energy commercial. And this a young guy, maybe in his 40s, he's got young kids, and he has a vision of the, all the stuff he's got to do this day. He's got to get his kids to school. He's got to go to work. He's got to get a workout. And he points on top of his head and says, I'm not going to get it with this and this 34% energy level. 
And he said, no, i got to take a five-hour energy. Right? And then, and then he's, he takes a five-hour energy, and of course, he has, it's the hero, and he's able to do it. And so uh, last night, my wife, uh, uh, her social service organization had a, a, their annual kind of fundraising party. And so on the nights that I preach, before I preach, I hate to go out. I, 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 I avoid it. But for whatever strange reason, at least three times out of the last five years, it's come on the day I got to preach. And so it's a one uh, a dinner kind of dance a year. One time, one time your wife asks you to go out, take her out dancing. And guess what? You, you better go. You better take her out. <laughs> you know, you better, you better go. You better take her. And so, and so I go. And uh, she's like, Lloyd, we'll come at six. And then uh, by eight, we'll be gone. And so six, we'll get there at eight, 8.15, 8.30, 9 o'clock. Hey, honey, I, I, I need to be getting going. That's not my song yet. I don't like that song. 9.15, 9.30, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I think I get home at 10.30 and stuff. And then, and then I, I, I have the sermon and all the bullet points and stuff, but I don't have, like, all the color, all the illustrations and applications. And then around midnight, all like a download. <laughs> I get all these ideas, Nick. I get all these ideas about what you've been there, about what to put in the sermon. And so I, I literally did not sleep. So I take a five-hour energy. So I'm hyped up. And I have a, I'm, hyped, I'm hyped up today. You know what I, mean? I feel like preaching. You know what I mean? Last week, Pastor Nick, um, we finished with his series on love. And he started in the book of Luke. And, um, uh, and we're going to continue in the passage in Luke, starting with verses 11 going to verse 37, and you heard uh, Sharon's reading of the scriptures. We're going to be talking about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The mystery, the enigma, enigma that is puzzle of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of Christ is, but not yet. In John 16, 16, the scripture reads that up till now, We've had the law and the prophets. But since John, the kingdom of the gospel is preached. And so, um, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, if you've come to him in repentance and faith, if you've received the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has been established. And that has given you an ability to understand the scripture. It has given you an ability to relate to God. It has given you brothers and sisters in the faith. And hopefully you've seen some tremendous miracles, one of them being how your life has changed. Others have been how your friends' lives have changed. Some direct healing, um, mysterious healing, uh, prayers of faith, and people being completely changed. And that is evidence that the kingdom of God is among you, but it's not complete. And so uh, some of you know my, my mom has been ill. She's got congenital heart disease. Uh, one week, not too long ago, uh, uh, she was at three different hospitals in a row. She'd come home, she'd fall and get sick, and three different hospitals in the Chicagoland area. And then the last three weeks, she's been at a rehab facility. And I don't know about it is, how it is with your mom, but when you see your mom suffering, and you remember when she, her when she was in her 40 and 50 and strong and virile and now weak and feeble, and you can kind of see the life kind of slipping out, even though she knows the Lord and you know where she's going, uh, you know that the kingdom of God has not come fully yet. 
that her soul is saved, but her body is not fully restored. And I don't know if you believe in global warming, but I'm becoming more and more a believer when we have uh, uh, 35 degrees below zero one day and then 40 above in, in a week, within the same week. Uh, the creation is groaning. Uh, Christ has come, and we see many great mir- miracles of turning lives totally around from sin to Christ. Total restoration of, of men, but it's not complete yet. It's, it's already started, but it's not yet. And so we, this, this puzzle, we see it in the questions in this passage. The Pharisees, who are the knowledgeable scholars who see Jesus do all kinds of miracles that I'll talk about in a moment, they ask him, when will the kingdom of God occur? His own disciples who've walked with him, who've seen him do miracle after miracle, and in addition to calling them onto himself, they ask, where is the kingdom of God? And, and, and in Jesus himself, in chapter 18, verse 8, which is connected to this passage, he says, will the king hath see faith when he returns? The question is, when? The question is, where? The question is, will or who will enter the kingdom of God? There's these great mysteries. And my goal in preaching this sermon today is that you will understand how the kingdom functions well and therefore be more productive in the kingdom that is today, but also then be better prepared for the kingdom that is tomorrow. I want you to be more effective in the kingdom that is today, and I want you to be better prepared for the kingdom that is tomorrow. That's where we're going this morning. Christ unpacks the mysteries of the kingdom of God. There's three points I will give them to you as I come to them. The first one is this. The kingdom of God comes to people we might not expect. People we might not expect. Luke 11, 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem where he would die for the sins of men, where he would raise to life, where he would inaugurate the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem, along the border between Samaria and Galilee, that's they are in northern Israel, on the border, as he was going into the village, two men, ten men were, who had leprosy met him. Uh, leprosy is probably not Hansen's leprosy, where the wasting away of the body and the disfiguring of the joints is probably more of a, a scaliness of the skin, more typical of what was experienced. Now, this leprosy was contagious, and it was awful. And any time a person was a leper, they, they might be married with their family, but they had to go into a leper economy, uh, colony, be removed from their family, and live in isolation. And any time if they were walking and someone who was, uh, did not have leprosy came, they would have to scream out, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. Don't be uh, contaminated. This was an awful, outcast-type life. And these uh, uh, ten men had this experience. And they stood at a distance, and they had heard about Jesus, his ministry. And they knew that God had given him power to heal. And they say, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, Jesus doesn't ask them, how did you get in this condition? Or, or, or wh- whose fault was it? He just says, he gives them an instruction to get healed. Don't you like that about Jesus? That no matter what's your condition, your mental or spiritual condition, you come to Jesus and he goes about getting you healed. 
Amen? No, he doesn't look for excuses or explanations. He goes right. He ministers compassionately to your need. And that's what he does here. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, this was the convention, how one got declared uh, clear of leprosy was that had to be proclaimed by the priest. So the priests were likely in Jerusalem. On their way to Jerusalem, they all get healed. So Jesus' grace is extended. He's looking for obedience. All ten are obey. They believe that God has the power and the authority, that Jesus has the power and authority. They go, and immediately they get healed. Now, only one of them, when he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Have you ever thrown yourselves at anybody's feet? Like, I, I didn't grow up in, 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 in England in, in a real kingdom, and I have problems with the bowing and the curtsying. Come on with me now. I, I'm not going to throw myself at nobody's feet except Jesus. This man knew that a, God had done an amazing blessing in his life had restored him back to his family, back to his village, that had made him whole. And he was going to, he didn't care who saw it. He wasn't shame. He worshiped the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says this, we're not all ten cleansed. Didn't the grace of God, doesn't the grace of God extend to the whole world? God's mercy, his peace, his gospel, his favor, doesn't his blessing extend to the whole world? But not everyone will respond to the blessing. And only one person responds, and an unlikely fellow at that, a Samaritan. And the history of the Samaritans were this. They lived in a place that was part Jew and part, part idolatrous. They were mon considered mongrels. They had a long history of enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, in chapter 9 of Luke, when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, they won't even let him come through the town. They're like, where are you going, Jerusalem? You would you get out of here, man. They hated. The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. But this one man being healed, he laid all that hatred of the, the Lord. Salvation has come to me, a leper and a hated Samaritan. And Jesus says, man, there were Jews and Gentiles. Are you kidding me? Did this one foreigner is the only one that came back? And so I want to say to you, the first mystery of the kingdom is this. Not everybody that you would expect is going to come into the kingdom of God. And sometimes God is going to put you along, brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God that you never would have anticipated. Uh, think about your three uh, pastors, full-time pastors on staff. A black guy from an all-black Catholic neighborhood in Chicago, is one of your pastors. Uh, a guy from a small town, uh, Italian and British, a small little farming town in New York, your senior pastor. Uh, another guy from Washington State, older than both of us, with a, zil a gajillion years of experience and a little bit charismatic. That's your other pastor, amen? Right? Who would put those kind of people together but Jesus? And so around you, you should see a diversity of ages, of nationalities, a, a, a beautiful mosaic of all kinds of people, Indian, Chinese, African, Black, Asian. 
And only Jesus would do something like this. It's not the people that you would expect. And so we have to get used to the fact that people are going to come into the kingdom of God that have different personalities than we do. Different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different economic status. They won't exactly be like you in that way. And that's fine. That's good. And you should not be surprised if some of your close relatives who you might expect would come into the kingdom of God don't come. Let me unpack this one. Because in my ministry experience, this particular fact plagues a lot of us. We ask ourselves questions like this. Man, how did we all have godly parents and only one of five knows the Lord? Uh, How did I raise uh, seven kids in in the same faith-filled, imperfect but faithful life and only two of my seven kids come to the How does that, how does this happen? And Jesus has an explanation for us. Uh, This passage here picks up right after he talks about judgment is coming to earth. He says this, I have come to bring fire on earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. I think here he means the Holy Spirit that would come and live upon every believer. Uh, But I have a baptism to undergo, death, burial, and resurrection, which makes that baptism of of all the other Christians possible. I have a fire to, to undergo. And how I am under constraint until it is accomplished. He wanted to see souls saved. He wanted to see the gospel spread throughout the whole world. He wanted to see God's phenomenal plan of the spiritual kingdom get established and that the whole world would have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel and how he desired that to to come to pass. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? If, if, If he wanted peace on earth, he would have let the earth go its course of sinfulness and self-righteousness, and he would just let, let men kill each other and do wrong to each other. Do you think I came for that? Do you think I came for, for peace but division? I, I came to separate the wheat from the chaff, the righteous from the unrighteous. And from now on, he says, five in one family will be divided against Uh, each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And some of us are experiencing this in our lives today. And Jesus experienced it in his life then. In John chapter 7, 1 through 7, 16, 26, turn there if you you will. Um, Jesus' own family doesn't, they see how God has used him mightily to accomplish so many things. And here's what the scripture says of Jesus and his family. You think your family doesn't know Jesus? How about, how about Jesus' family? After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, northern Israel. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. So in southern, close to Jerusalem, he had already made enemies. They were already persecuting him, wanting to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles were near, when every, when every Jew would go to Jerusalem, Jesus' brother said to him, you large and in charge. Why don't you leave this little podunk place and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see all your wonderful works? 
No one who wants to become a public figure, no one who wants to become popular, one, no one who wants to become famous, no one who wants to be the king going to hide out in this little secret place. Since you are doing these miraculous things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers didn't believe him. They thought he was a showboat. They thought he was a fraud. They knew his mama and his daddy. He couldn't have been that much. Even his own family didn't know he was God. Therefore, Jesus said to them, my time is not, not here yet, i.e. his time for death and resurrection. But for you, any time will do. Man, this is interesting. The world cannot hate you. In other words, you're a sinner just like the rest of you sinners. Your time is always here. Nobody hates you. Just go on doing your thing. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival, but I am not going because my time has not fully come yet. Listen, we know later on after Jesus' resurrection that to his two of his brothers, James and Jude, came to faith in Christ. But there's no guarantee that all of Jesus' family came to faith in Christ, and there's no guarantee that all of yours will come to faith in Christ either. Now, that does not mean that we shouldn't pray for them. That does not mean that you, we shouldn't witness. That does not mean that we shouldn't hope. That does not mean that our hearts shouldn't break. But it does mean that you are not given a guarantee that your children... Your brothers and sisters, your best friends, your mother or father. I saw my father pass. I had witnessed to him many times, knowing he and I both knowing he was close to death. And uh, I'm not sure he ever came. God didn't promise me that all of my relatives were going to come, and he didn't promise you either. So how do we deal with this? This is one of the toughest things in the Christian faith. I know a woman at our church who gathers together a bunch of other folks and they pray for their prodigal children who haven't come. It weighs heavily on them. First thing is we got to rejoice in our own salvation. We don't rejoice in how great we are or how powerful we are. Uh, You know, we live in Madison. Madison has 220,000 people, about half a million in Dane County. I'm not precisely sure how many evangelical Bible-believing Christians there are. Wouldn't surprise me if there were just 10% or maybe 15. That wouldn't surprise me. We're in the minority. When Jesus died and was resurrected, he had preached to all of Jerusalem. The scripture tells us that only 200 or so huddled and prayed. Only 200 had real faith after. We're in in a minority of people. You ought to rejoice that God allowed you to enter the kingdom of God. Do you rejoice in your own salvation? And we ought to live godly lives so that we're not the reason our relatives and friends aren't coming into the faith. Nick preached about this last time, last week. We don't want to be the cause of people stumbling because we say that we believe in Jesus and live uh, ungodly lives. We don't want that. We want to grow in godliness and gentleness and humility and pure love so that we're not an obstacle to those who are coming into the kingdom of God. The folks who come into the kingdom of God may not be the people that you expected. That's the first mystery in the kingdom of God. Here's the second. The kingdom of God comes in an unexpected manner. Once I'm being asked by the Pharisees, if you are uh, new to the Bible, 
These were the religious leaders of the day. Jesus hated them because they were hypocrites, more concerned with power and influence than real godliness, an obstacle to the typical Jew of the day, though they were the rightful leaders. Uh, And here's what they saw in their day, the Pharisees. They saw Jesus preach repentance and faith and people repent and come to God. They saw in in this book of Luke, there's at least three recorded instances of uh, a resurrection from the dead. They saw people who were dead come back to life, and yet they did not know the kingdom of God was at hand. They saw countless people healed from every kind of malady. They saw demons driven out, and they didn't just see this once or twice. They saw this happen everywhere this man went, and yet and still they did not recognize the kingdom of God was at hand. It's because the kingdom of God comes by faith and not by sight. And so Jesus' followers, those Peter who accepted Christ as Lord, he didn't say once he knew Jesus as Lord, here he is or there he goes. He's like, I'm walking with Jesus. He's in in, in our midst. He's among us. And you and I who have accepted Christ, who walk in step with the Spirit, we don't don't say to ourselves, where is Jesus? In fact, when Jesus returns, it'll be so clear, it'll be so crystal clear when he comes in the sky, even Stevie Wonder can see it. I'll be sitting with Stevie Wonder, and Stevie Wonder's eyes will be open. Jesus is coming. Listen, I was driving home from Thursday from a doctor's appointment. I was on, going from PD, headed west on on a on um, Verona Road, and uh, in a strange instant, about 4 o'clock, the, the sun just got super bright. I was driving in my car. The sun blinded my eyes only for like 30 seconds, and then I got further past, and it was the, uh, haze again. What I'm trying to say is nobody is going to miss when Jesus returns. You're not going to say, oh, here he is. Oh, there he is. If you've come to him by faith, and receive the Holy Spirit, you will understand that Jesus' return is going to be for all to see. And there will be no mystery there. For the Scripture says, don't go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. In other words, first he must establish a spiritual kingdom. That Jesus' plan was not that he would overthrow even the Jewish leadership. They, they wanted Jesus to, they wanted the Messiah to return. Not really, because the first thing, if he had returned, he'd have to do is say, oops, you unrighteous, let me judge you first, you hypocrites. No, he came and offered repentance and salvation so that they could enter into the kingdom of God He extended the same grace to the Romans. His his goal was to be on the king of people's hearts first, and then at the end to have a throne that we would see and rule in all of the world physically. First he would rule on people's hearts, then he would rule uh, physically. So what's the application? We've got to hang on to our faith even in difficult times. 
Pastor Nick was telling me uh, on his heart was a couple whose funeral he did some years ago for their child, less than one year. And he was like, Lloyd, how is this sermon going to minister to them? And here's how it ministers to them. God hasn't promised you that every trial and every ailment, every pain, you're going to be delivered from. That your parents wouldn't get divorced, that your finances wouldn't dry up. He's promised that he will be with you. He's promised that if you seek him first, all of the stuff of life will be taken care of. And he has promised you eternal life in him. He said there's a time. When you will be fully restored, mind, body, soul, and spirit. But guess what? Now's not the time. So for now, use the trials of life to grow in godliness. Your, the, your trials, your difficulties are not for no reason at all. They're for you to grow. And they're for you to even help your own others, people who go through the same trials that you've gone through. Here's where we struggle. We fail to realize that Jesus is more concerned about your transformed heart and soul than he is about your transformed circumstances. He's more concerned with godly people going to hell than he is with global warming and the earth going to hell. He has his priorities really clearly set forward. And his priority is your soul. And then it is all your body and everything else. That's his priorities. You see, um, to my soul, I can say this. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, I can say to be absent from the body is to be pleasant, present with the Lord. That if I die, my, I just began to live. Paul says I would far, uh, it would be far better to be with Christ. So we have several people in our church are dying of various illnesses and they'll look you dead in their face with no fear because they believe that it is far better to be with Christ. And they recognize in terms of this body, if Christ doesn't come first, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I'm 54 years old, I'm starting to get arthritis. Man, I'm like, come on, man, I'm still young. I, I, I'm shoveling outside, I got this big um, uh, snowblower. Man, it's getting hard every year, every year. It's getting harder and harder to use that 150-pound snowblower. Wife, you're going to have to get another husband. It's getting harder and harder to move that snowblower. And, and I used to have a little bit of arthritis. Now I'm feeling it in all my joints. My hip is killing me. I go to the Princeton Club. I got to soak in the tub for an hour to get a 15-minute workout. I'm like, come on, this body is wearing thin. Come on. I know I don't have to convince you guys about it. <laughs> Dust to dust. It's, Jesus is concerned about your soul, first and foremost, young people. This is the hardest thing for you guys to recognize. It's to get young people thinking about eternal life when their lives are so much ahead of them. Here's what got me. Wifey and I got married. I was 25, and we lost our first baby, Christian Nicole. It was brutal. It was brutal. We got home, and my wife said, I can't go into this apartment without my baby. 
I was a kid. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. God did not promise me that there wouldn't be trials and tribulations, extremely difficult ones. He said he'd be with me, that you'd be with me, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we would make it in the end. So the kingdom of God comes to people we might not expect. It comes in an unexpected manner. It's spiritual now. It's not physical yet. It will be physical. It'll be clear and everything will be restored, new heavens and a new earth, but not now. And then the kingdom of God comes at an unpredictable time. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed all of them. God is saying to us, I have always judged the wicked differently than the righteous. And in the time of Noah, it says in Genesis that the people were exceedingly wicked and that God groaned under all the wickedness and evil that was in the land. And 2 Peter 2, 2, 2 and 2 says that, uh, that, that Noah, while he was building the ark, where he and his wife, his three sons and their wives, would escape this devastation. It says that he was a preacher. He was preaching repentance, and people thought he was crazy. And they went on with their wickedness and violence up until the ark was built. His family got in, one male, one female of every animal. They watched this happen, and then the rains came, and it was too late. Up to that, they were marrying and partying and going to work, and it over, and no chance for repentance. And then he tells the story of Lot who lived in Sodom and more separated from his brother Abraham. Second Peter 2, 2 says that he was a righteous man. And he hated the wickedness and the vileness. Two angels came to Sodom and Gomorrah and, uh, to see whether all that had been reported was true about this corrupt people. And they come and Lot sees them and he says to them, oh, don't stay in, this, uh, in the square. Come over to my house. And he comes to their house. And while he's in the house, the, whole, the, the neighborhood of men, scores of them come and they say, send them out to us so that we might sleep with them. And Lot is just, oh my God, he gets insane. He says, no, 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 brothers, don't do this. Uh, I have two daughters. Oh my God. I mean, insanity breeds insanity. Wickedness breeds wickedness. I have two daughters that I'll send out. He goes out to them. And they say, listen, you foreigner, you came to our country. We're going to do worse to you than we did to them. So they start crowding around him. And the angels grab him back in. And they say, do you have any other relatives around here? Because God is about to judge this place immediately. And they have two daughters, and the daughters have sons-in-law. And, and, and Lot goes to the sons-in-law and says, flee this corrupt generation. And they begin laughing at him. What are you talking? They don't get it. Things are going to continue as they did last week. Things are going to go from bad to worse, and there'll be violence, and God doesn't see. God doesn't see. And so they stay in Sodom. The daughters come. They flee to a neighboring town, and the angels give them very specific instructions. They say, don't look back. You came to Jesus don't look back. Continue to grow in godliness. But Lot's wife looked back. 
And like the rest of the community, she was totally destroyed. The moral is the same, that when Christ returned to establish his physical kingdom, nobody will have a chance to say to repent. Now the gospel is preached in repentance and faith and receipt of the Holy Spirit and walking in righteousness. That's now. Today is the acceptable day for salvation. When Jesus comes, it's way too late. So the application is if you are, don't know the Lord, man, I need to talk to you today. The scripture tells us we don't know the hour when he's going to return. I need to talk to you today. I need to convince you of the reality of Jesus today. Because when he returns, you're going to see it, but you won't be able to repent. He'll be coming to judge. So the, so, um, the, the Pharisees say, when? And the issue is he's, he's already there. I'm already, what do I have to do? I've already raised several people from the dead. I've already cast out every manner of wickedness. I've already preached repentance. People have already crowded in. What do you mean, where? And then now his, his folks are saying, well, uh, uh, excuse me, what, what do you mean when? His folks are saying, well, the, his disciples say, where, Lord? And he tells them this very strange thing. He says, uh, uh, where, where there is a dead body, the vultures will gather. Here's what I think he means. It means everywhere. It's going to be everywhere when he comes. This is a judgment passage. Luke 21, 34, 36. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with, with parties and drunkenness and with the cares of life as opposed to Christ and his godliness. You'll be weighed down. You'll be trapped. And the day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Other places he says, like a thief in the night. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen so that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. When he comes, everybody's going to see it. The dead will be raised to, to life. The righteous will be put on his right the, the wicked will be put on his left. And if you believe in the Bible, you believe in eternal life. And if you believe in the Bible, you believe in eternal damnation. Talk back with me. And for Jesus, eternal damnation is about righteousness. Because sin troubles the whole world. And the gospel is being preached throughout the whole world. And the grace of God is reaching everywhere. And the opportunity to come is freely extended. And Jesus says, uh, uh, Paul says, and Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God doesn't, doesn't want uh, any person. He wants all people to enter into the, the, the kingdom of God. John 5, 24 says, but there's only one way to come into the kingdom of God, to repent and believe and receive. And the Bible and the New Testament all says it's going to be eternal life or eternal damnation. Today is the day. When he comes, it'll be too late. 
And so in terms of those vultures, he's saying it'll be everywhere. You'll see the dead and the life and the living everywhere when he comes. So what's the final application? Worship team, you can make your way up to the front. Didn't, didn't see this until yesterday. Very important that you see it. So that finishes chapter 17. But then chapter 18 says this, immediately after. It says, then, connected to it. After Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, i.e., they should hang in. And the parable basically says that there is this woman who's treated unjustly, doesn't give us the details. Maybe it's at school where all the students make fun of the Christians, or maybe it's at work when you go through hell, or maybe it's in your community, but there's persecution, there's, this, there's injustice, and what God says is, don't faint. He says, pray and ask. And in this particular parable, it says this woman, the judge, doesn't love righteousness and doesn't respect people. But because she begged and pleaded day after day in order to get this woman off his back, even the unrighteous judge would give righteousness. He says, now, won't the righteous God who loves you, who died to save your soul, who has given you all things in the kingdom of God, won't he give you justice? But then he ends with this. And the Pharisees say, uh, um, uh, when is the kingdom of God? The disciples say, where is the kingdom of God? But what does Jesus say? He says, who will be in the kingdom of God? He says, when Jesus returns, when the kingdom of God is in place, will he find righteousness on earth? So I got two applications for you. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. In uh, 2017, for those of you who were here, Pastor Nick finished writing a book about growing in substance and holiness. He was concerned that the church was full of brittle Christians, people that say they are Christian but are as carnal as the world and therefore uh, unproductive in leading uh, other non-Christians into the kingdom. He was very concerned about this, and he wrote a book about it, about how to live in the Spirit, how to live a life of substance. And the premise was, uh, the undergirding verses was these verses. How many of you still remember this passage? Amen? I don't remember. (laughs) Real briefly, we won't go through the whole passage. Jesus' divine power, his, his spirit, has given to us everything we need for life and godliness, i.e. to be ready when he comes. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's why Pastor Nick is so dead set on us understanding the scripture and the details. He wants us to know more and more so that we can be and so that we can do. 
through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, like eternal life, like the fact he will never leave us nor forsake us, like that we are part of his family forever, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, that is, through the Holy Spirit, and escape corruption that's in the world caused by our sinful nature, our desire for sensual pleasures. We need to escape that and grow into seeking Christ and his righteousness. For this reason, make every effort. That is, in order for us to be ready when Jesus comes, it's going to take everything in you, everything in you to be vigilant, everything in you to be growing. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you've possessed these qualities in increasing measure, that is to say, you oughtn't be satisfied where you are right now. You're 80 years old. Your love is probably imperfect yet. You might be mature for 30. You need to grow in perseverance. One of the ways you can be ready when Jesus comes is to be growing. We all need to be uh, dedicated to growth. Nobody should be satisfied. Everybody ought to have some sins they need to defeat. Because if you don't have them, you're blind. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed for your sins. Sin is such a way it tricks you. If you're not diligent, if you're not working on it, it's always enslaving, always in, in capturing, always alluring. So we got to be careful. we got to be vigilant. Every day, more and more as the day approaches. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling an election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. I.e., you'll be ready to receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God if you're what? Growing. So be growing to be ready. And lastly, be united. Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a worthy manner. Then whether I come to see you, this is Paul, he's in prison, or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for faith in the gospel. About three weeks ago, we had been working on the Sexuality Everywhere conference, and we know that the world's sexual ethic is clear and everybody gets it. All I have to do is watch my favorite show, Suits, and here's their sexual effort. If it feels good, do it. Donna, if it feels good, Donna, just, just go flow with it. No condemnation. We know what the world's sexual ethic is. Our sexual ethic is that the man and the woman represent the gospel. That there's holiness in this thing. That it's not a plaything. But that ethic is not on television like The Bachelor. Makes me sick to my stomach. That ethic, that sexuality represents the gospel, represents the body of Christ, is hidden. And, it, and maybe it's hidden because of us. And we're scared of the persecution. I, I want you to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith in God without being frightened in any way by the world that opposes our sexual ethic and all of our other ethics, for that matter. And so, 
we recognized there were only 60 people. We had been working on this project for a year, and we said we had to do something. And so one of our me members, Aaron, a young wife, said, I'm going to tell my testimony of how I didn't live a perfect sexuality. And I knew better, paid the price, but God has restored and redeemed me. She gives a powerful testimony. And Pastor Nick uh, uses his, his name and says, hey, I want you to come. And this is for everybody, young and old, every kind of uh, sexual situation, same-sex addicted or not, single or married, all of you come. And the next week, 300 sign up. And now we've got 380, and we've got 100 in volunteers. And some of these volunteers don't even go to High Point. When we come together, when we stand fast, we'll be ready when Jesus comes. So we need to be holy. And we need to be like a United Marine Corps Army. Steady and steadfast. Fighting spiritually for the gospel. And when he returns, we won't be thrown off because God has made a family of people we didn't fully expect. And he's done it through a spiritual kingdom first and not a physical kingdom. And we won't be thrown off by the fact that nobody knows the day or the time, but when he comes, it's too late. You'll be ready because you'll be productive and you'll be united in the body of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be sober-minded. We want to be growing. And we recognize that we have everything that we need within this great, beautiful, flawed body of Christ. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church. We have brothers and sisters. We, we, we have history on our side, a legacy, a Father, in you. We have so much power. We have tremendous promises by which we can escape the corruption that's in the world. We have a challenge that to not be satisfied, that, that to grow. We have the ability to, to share our faith with the world, knowing that if we die, that we live. And knowing that if we live, that we're gonna live forever. So thank you today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now listen.